today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and all the people uh, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, "Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you." when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. And Chris, thank you for that word. That was so meaningful. That was good. You know, as been, has been mentioned um, in this service, the kingdom of God is often described as the upside-down kingdom. Sometimes people refer to it as the inside-out kingdom. And, and the reason people say this is because when you come to live under the authority of God, in other words, you come into God's kingdom, you, you start to discover that many, many things in your life um, are just kind of the opposite of the way that things are in the world. Like what's up is down, what's down is up. It's just, it's inside out. It's the, um, living under God's rule, it's like you are in an upside down kingdom. And to try to explain that idea, I want to just make two very basic points today that I think arise from this passage. Um, when we live in God's kingdom, point number one, we live in a different way. We live in a different way because, point number two, we live for a different day. All right? We live in a different way because we're living for a completely different day. So, first, when you come to live under the rule of God, as Christ invited us to come into the kingdom, you, you start to see that the way you're living your life, it, it's, uh, it's just radically different from the way that life is approached by the rest of the world. And you see that in today's passage. In the passage, right before this, Christ had gone up on a mountain and he called 12 of his followers to, to, to be, he appointed them to be his apostles. They then come down from this mountain. They find themselves surrounded by crowds and crowds of people who are pressing in on Jesus, people who need him to help them. Jesus helps these people. He heals these people. And then he begins to preach a sermon that will extend through the end of the chapter. And at the very start of this sermon, 
Jesus pronounces four blessings and four corresponding woes. He said, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Woe just means you're in trouble, all right? Blessings are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed, blessed, he says, blessed are the hungry, woe to those who are well fed. Blessed to those who are, who weep, they're just broken and they're, they're wounded inside. He said, woe to those who laugh. He says, blessed, blessed are those who are mocked and excluded and, and, um, ridiculed because of their association with Christ. He says, uh, woe to those who are spoken well of and praised. So that's what we have here. The four, Blessings for woes. And the question is, why, why does Jesus say these things? It's important to understand that this, uh, this is not a political manifesto. All right? Jesus Christ here, he's not calling for an uprising of the lower class to overthrow the rich. In, in fact, in the verses immediately after this, Jesus tells his listeners not to resist their oppressors. He says, turn the other cheek, love your enemy. So this is, this is not a, a call to arms. This is not a political statement. It's also helpful to know that this is, this is not a theological statement about eternal salvation. Christ is not saying, here's how it will be on judgment day. Poor people go to heaven, rich people go to hell. That's not, that's not the teaching. Um, you, in fact, if you read the Gospels, you will find... Some rich people who follow Jesus into the kingdom, you will find some poor people who reject Jesus and the invitation to the kingdom. So he's not, he's not teaching that our eternal destiny is, is determined by our income bracket. So, so what's he doing here? Well, in this, these words, spelling out the core values of God's kingdom. These are the core values. He's saying these are the kinds of people who flourish in the kingdom of God. These are, these are the kinds of things that are important in, in the kingdom of God. He says these are the indicators in your life that you've come to live in the kingdom of God. These are the core values of God's kingdom. And you'll notice here that um, what he's saying, he's saying that what is valued in the kingdom of God, it's like the exact opposite of what is valued in the world. You will never ever go home and turn on your television set and see an advertisement from an investment firm where they say, plan your retirement with us and we guarantee you will die poor. Right? You don't see that. Because the goal in the world is not to be poor, it's to be rich. You'll never see an advertisement for a, for a cruise line where they say, you know, sail with Royal Caribbean. We promise you will have a miserable time. You won't get enough to eat. You'll be, no, that's not, listen, because in the world, the goal is to be well fed and entertained and, and just enjoy creature comforts. In our society today, one of the greatest fears that many people have is that they might be canceled by the culture. You know, they say the wrong thing, offend the wrong person, some secret comes out. They're just canceled. That's the greatest fear in the world. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you follow me, I promise you will be canceled. I promise no one will like you. He said that. Luke 21, 17. Look it up. He said, everyone will hate you because of me. <laughs> that's like the opposite of what the world wants. So, so you, you see, that, that's the way it is in the kingdom. It's upside down. In fact, Jesus, he said this very clearly. Luke 16, verse 15. He said, what people value highly 
So what do people value highly? Oh, wealth, security, pleasure, comfort. He said what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. It's just everything is upside down. And what that means is, listen, if you and I embrace the values of God's kingdom, this will change the way that we live, right? Here, let me give you a few examples. Here's one example. If you really embrace the values of God's kingdom, you won't go around anymore trying to impress people with how smart you are or how cool you are, how, how much you've got it together. Jesus said, no, blessed are those who weep, those who are not ashamed at all to let people know how broken and messed up they are. That's, that's the way it is. So the apostle Paul, for example, he learned, he, he said that he learned um, as he followed Jesus, he learned to be very transparent about his weaknesses, how, just how his brokenness. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he said, God's power is made perfect in weakness. How many of you know that? He, he said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. So when you, when you live in the kingdom, rather than trying to impress people, you just let them see how... How broken you are. Here's another example. When, when the, the values of the kingdom start to change you, you no longer use power to try to control others. You don't try to manipulate. You don't try to coerce. Jesus said in Matthew 20, he said, You know that the rulers of the nations lord it over their people and their high officials exercise authority over them. He said, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It seems to me those are some verses that we ought to be looking at a lot these days. In the United States right now, Christians often think that if we want, if we want to save our nation, the way to do that is to seize political power. We've got to get the right person in the White House, the right people in the Supreme Court. If we do that, we can save our nation. Jesus would say, if you want to save your nation, which, by the way, is an admirable goal, he'd say, if you, if you really want to save your nation... Give all your power away and just go out there and serve the needs of your neighbors. Imagine the impact that might have. So, you see, when you, when you live in the kingdom, you just live, you live differently. This, this, parents, this will affect the way that we raise our children. A lot of kids just grow up under the, um, the constant drumbeat of, of pressure. You need to get into a good school. You need to get into a good college. You need to, you need to get a good job. I want, I'm looking for Ivy League doctor, Ivy League lawyer. Listen, let me just ask you a question, parents. Are those the values of God's kingdom? The, the, the values of God, God's kingdom, will, it will shape the way that singles um, look for a future spouse. A lot of, a lot of Christian singles say, I, I would like to marry a Christian. I want to marry a Christian as long as she's hot, right? Or as long as he's cool and has a good job. When, when, the, when the kingdom shapes you, you, you begin to pray. You say, God, I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care what they look like. I don't care. Listen, I want to, I want to marry someone. Listen, like a, a friend of mine in, in seminary, when we were both, before we were both married, he said to me, he said, I want to marry a woman who loves Jesus more than she loves me. That's what I want. 
It shapes your values. It shapes the way you live. It, it, it will also, listen, if, if the kingdom values saturate us as a church, remember, remember Chris was in her prayer praying for God to bring people from the nations to this church. If the kingdom values shape us, it will change the kinds of people we long to see God bringing to ACC. Years, years ago, I saw, it was a little um, like comic strip in a Christian magazine, and it had two panels. And, and in each panel, there was a pastor sitting in his church office on the phone. They're talking to each other. And, and one pastor, he said to the other, he said, I'll tell you what. I will trade you a young family with teenagers for an elderly couple that tithes, right? That's, and just showing that that's what churches usually look for. We want, we want, who do we want to come into our church? Either people who bring youth and energy or people who bring cash, right? But when the kingdom values shape us as a church and we pray for people, for God to draw people here, what kind of people are we praying that he'll bring? There's a book called The Divine Conspiracy uh, written by a Christian philosopher named Dallas Willard. In the book, he contends, he contends that the kingdom of God is comprised primarily of what he calls seriously crushed people. Seriously crushed. And here's how he describes them. He describes them as the flunkouts and dropouts and burnedouts the broke and the broken, the drug heads and the divorced, the HIV positive and herpes ridden, the brain damaged, ill, the barren, the women who've been pregnant too many times or pregnant at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the parents with children who have strayed, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved or emotionally dead, and on and on. He writes, even the moral disasters will be welcomed by God as they come to rely on Jesus. The brutal and the bigoted, drug lords and pornographers, war criminals and sadists, the perverted and the filthy, and the filthy rich. And then he writes this. He says, any spiritually healthy congregation of believers in Jesus will more or less look like these kind of people. And he says, if your church is totally nice, that's a sure sign that something has gone wrong. Now, let me ask you, do you agree with that statement? Listen, if you, if you don't, I, just to, to push back a little, did you notice in this, at the beginning of the passage, most of the people who were gathering around Jesus were broken people. People with diseases, people who needed to be healed, people who were pressing in on him to try to touch him, people, it says, who were troubled by impure spirits. These were the kinds of people that Jesus welcomed into the kingdom. There's an old, uh, there's an old folk, folk song you may have heard before. It, it, uh, it, essentially, the song is comparing the kingdom of God to a train. It's describing what kinds of passengers are welcome on the train, what kinds of passengers are not welcome on the train. And the, and the song is called, This Train is Bound for Glory. All right? It's been recorded by several people, so there's different versions of it out there. But the, the, uh, the lyrics essentially go like this. This train is a clean train. Everybody here is riding in Jesus' name. 
This train is bound for glory. If you want to ride, you better be holy. This train don't carry no gamblers, no liars, no thieves, no big shot ramblers. This train don't carry no jokers, no tobacco chewers, no, no cigar smokers. This train is a clean train. This train is bound for glory. In 1999, Bruce Springsteen came out with his own rendition of this song. He changed the, the tune. He changed the lyrics significantly. So in Springsteen's version of the song, it goes like this. Well, this train carries saints and sinners. This train carries losers and winners. This, this train carries whores and gamblers. This train carries lost souls. On this train, he said, dreams will not be thwarted. On this train, faith will be rewarded. This train is for the brokenhearted. This train, all aboard. Now, I don't know a lot about Bruce Springsteen or his faith commitments. I cannot vouch for him as a theologian, but I, I do tend to think, would you agree with me? I tend to think that his, his version of the song is a little bit closer to what Jesus had in mind when he stood before people and he said, come, come into the kingdom. Je Jesus said, blessed are the poor. In other words, he's saying, if you, if you have no status, you have no resources, you have absolutely nothing to offer. He said, all aboard. This train is for you. He, he, said, he said, blessed are those who weep. In other words, you're, you're broken, you're hurting, maybe because of bad decisions you yourself made in life. He said, all aboard, this train is for you. Jesus, he, he said, blessed are the hungry. Maybe you're empty today. You're just, you're searching. You don't know what to do. Jesus said, all aboard, sit next to me. The train is for you. So Jesus, this is, these are the kinds of people Jesus looked for. You see why we say the kingdom is upside down? By the way, before I go to my second point, if, if you are, if you're just, if you are starting to feel really tired of the shallow, superficial values of our society, like you're just tired of living in a world where the, the, the physically attractive and the financially successful, those are the people we, we live, we, the, the, we applaud for the billionaires who are flying around in rockets. If you're just getting tired of, of, of the shallowness of, of this society, aren't you glad to know that Jesus is inviting you into a kingdom where things are not like that? It's, isn't it wonderful to be invited into that kingdom? This upside-down kingdom. But when you come into the kingdom, you start to change. It changes the way you live in a different way. Why? Well, here's my second point. Because you start living for a different day. I don't know if you noticed in, in this passage, there, there are two very little words that are repeated again and again, again and again. And these are the words, now and will. Verse 21, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Again, verse 25, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Now, I don't know how that impacts you, but the, the effect of this kind of repetition of these words, now will, now will, the way that hit, hit me, it's just like a reminder to me that the way that things are at present is not the way things are always going to be. 
Right, right now it, it might seem that, you know, the rich are the blessed, the poor are the cursed. Right? That, that those who are laughing and have it all together, they're the blessed. And those who are broken, those are the ones we have to, we have to, to warn. It, it might seem that the kingdom of, the values of God's kingdom don't make any sense. Right? But that's now. And what the Bible tells us is that the day is coming when everything's going to change. Everything. It just There will be this great reversal in, in, in this world of everything. Christ himself will return in glory. He will judge all people, living and dead. He will welcome into his presence anyone and everyone who's trusted and followed him. The entire cosmos will be renewed. In, in the words of, of Revelations 11 verse 15, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And do you know what's going to happen on that day? Jesus, Jesus said it, Luke 13, verse 30. He said, there are those who are last who will be first. And those who are, there are those who are first who will be last. And on, on that day, even though it sometimes just is really hard, it's really hard to go through this world upside down, right? It's really hard to live sometimes by the values of the kingdom. Let me just tell you, on that day, it will be so worth it to have listened to the call of Christ and lived in a radically different way. It, it will be so worth it. And, and a good question to ask, I hope you ask this question, is, Pastor, how do you know? I mean, it's nice to say, it's nice to think about Jesus coming back, everything will be changed. But how, how do we know that this great reversal is going to happen? How do we know? I'll tell you how we know. Because it already started. It already started happening. Blessed are the poor. Jesus was poor. Son of man had nowhere to lay his head. But blessed are those who weep. Jesus wept in the garden. He, he wept and sweat great drops of blood. Blessed are the despised and the rejected. Jesus was despised and rejected and beaten and mocked and nailed to a cross and thrown into a tomb. And someone says, you call that blessed? Yes, we do. And I'll tell you why. Because three days later, that tomb opened up and Jesus walked out alive, right? And listen to me, in that moment, in that moment, the great reversal that's going to take place in its fullness at the end of, of, end of the age, in that moment, it started happening. It's already begun. So, so when the call to live in the kingdom feels hard for you, and it will feel hard for us, right? When the, when the call to live in the kingdom starts to feel hard, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm not living. I am not living for right now, and I'm not living for... I am living for that day. Now, let me close with one example of what that might look like for, for a believer. Wesley Hill is a Christian pastor and author. And um, because he is same-sex attracted, and because he believes and affirms what the Bible teaches about human sexuality. 
he has made a lifelong to commitment to live as a celibate man. He will never marry. He will never have an intimate partner because, he, because of his attractions and because he, he believes in, and wants to follow God's word. And there are a lot of people who would say to him, are you crazy? <laughs> Life is short. If, if, you, if you don't find sexual fulfillment now, you're going to miss out on it. Why would you live that way? And here's what he writes in his, in his book. He writes this. He says, much of my life as a celibate gay Christian has simply been learning how to wait, to be patient, to endure, to bear up under an unwelcome burden for the long haul. And then he says, when God acts climactically to reclaim the world and raise our bodies from the grave, my struggle will be over. But until then... I am looking forward to what God has promised to do. Now, your, your struggle may or may not be the same as Wesley Hill's, but I, we're, we're, all, we're all called to live upside down, right? We're all called to live uh, under the values of this kingdom. And, and what, can, what can strengthen us is just that thought. This is not forever. This will be worth it. And to say like he did, I'm looking forward to what God has promised do. Amen? Let's pray together as a church. Father, the world we live in constantly lies to us. It lies to us about what it, it says is true and it's really false or what it says is valuable and it's really worthless. And, and so we pray that you would give us grace to, to hear the voice of Jesus and to be shaped by the values of the kingdom. And when we find it really, really hard to go through life upside down, we pray that you would just encourage us that the day is coming. In fact, it's already begun. When Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection will reshape everything about the entire cosmos. So would you be shaping us now for that great reshaping so that we would live in your kingdom now and forever, objects of grace filled with your love. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. amen.